And if you'll stand with me, I'm going to read today's passage. We started Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. I've uh, appreciated that uh, so many of you are excited about Ephesians. I know a number of you, this is your favorite book of the Bible. It's kind of a good sign that uh, you're a real Bible student because some of those folks love the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to uh, read today's passage beginning in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. That sentence that begins at verse 3 in the Greek language does not end until verse 14. In the English language, we break it up to several places, but in the original language, it doesn't end until 14. When Paul says in verse 3 that God's blessed you with every spiritual blessing, it is like when he begins naming and enumerating those blessings, he just cannot stop. It's like he's tumbling downhill and doesn't even pause to take his breath. And he just, out of his mouth, just this outburst of praise over and over and over. Now he tells us in verse 3 that God has given us every blessing in Christ. And he's going to begin to name them. And he's going to talk about how God chose us. God predestined us. God adopted us. God redeemed us. God forgave us. God lavished grace upon us. God revealed His grand plan for the universe to us. God gave us an inheritance. God sealed us and secured us. The long sentence, 3 through 14, uh, he has clear markers, dividing markers. Um, 3 through 6 focuses on the Father and concludes with the phrase, to the praise of of His glorious grace, or the glory of His grace. And then 7 through 12 focuses on the Son and concludes in verse 12 to the praise of His glory. And then the last two verses focus on the Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit, and then conclude with an exact phrase to the praise of His glory. So God gives us clear markers what this outburst of praise reflects. Now the summary statement in verse 3 is just kind of the topic sentence. And then he'll specify all of these blessings underneath that. But the topic sentence, the basic theme, blessed, that is praised, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. We bless God with our praise because he has blessed us with his gifts and mercies. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you are in Christ... That is, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, that's how you become a believer. You no longer are going to trust yourself to be religious enough or good enough to earn your way to heaven, but you're going to transfer your trust from yourself to a Savior who died and rose again. Now, if you've done that, God knows your heart, if you've done that, then the Bible says that you have, present tense, you already have it, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every single one. You don't have to wait until you, you know, get some a higher measure of maturity or something like that. 
You don't have to wait until you get some kind of hidden knowledge that others don't have, but you've got. Oh, no. Every believer from day one is given every spiritual blessing. Uh, it, it is said that there are some 33 things that are listed in the New Testament that happen to you the moment you trust Christ as Savior. For example, one of them is, is that Jesus Christ comes inside you. A second is that all of your sins are wiped away as far as the east is from the west. Thirdly, you are given eternal life. That's forever. Uh, and 33 specific blessings. He doesn't name them all here, but he's going to begin talking about the fact you have been given all of them, every single one. And this becomes part of who you are in Christ. The Bible also says here that you are given all these blessings, verse 3, in Christ. This phrase, in Christ, in Jesus, in Him, in Jesus Christ, phrases like that occur no less than 44 times in this short book of six chapters. So seven times a chapter, he repeatedly reminds us, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. You're being given this in Christ. Everything we have is in Christ, in and through Christ. We are connected to him. That's what it means, in Christ. We're joined to him. We're united with him. He immerses us. We're surrounded by him. We are inextricably bound to Jesus Christ. And Paul had this Christ perspective. That's why he could say in Philippians 1.21, which might be my life verse, when he says, for me, for to me, to live is Christ. He's my whole life. He's everything to me. You are in Christ. Everything you have in the spiritual life is given to you in Christ. Or Galatians 2.20, a verse many of you love, I know. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And he goes on. It says, in the life which I now live by faith, which I live in the, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's saying that so much is Christ in him and he's in Christ, so bound together that it could be said, it's not I that live, but Christ is living in me. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, if somebody should come along and knock at the door of my heart and said, who goes there? He, would, he said, I would respond, not Martin but Jesus Christ. So deep in his heart, Christ lives in me, and I live in Christ. My whole life is Christ. Dear church, last week we began this marvelous book, and we, ta and we talked about how the most important thing about any of us is our view of God, how we see God. Most important thing. Enormous implications. But the second most important thing is how you see yourself. Enormous implications. And we talked about our identity last week, how uh, the Bible is where we get who we are and how we should look at ourselves, how God sees us. And we, we saw that uh, it is so crucial because we don't want to listen to human voices that have condemned us, and certainly not the enemy's voice. Because if we listen to the enemy's voice who came to kill, steal, and destroy, then that will only lead to guilt fear, anger, discouragement, depression, and all kind of stuff because he's out to ruin your life. But how crucial it is that we listen only to what God says about us. And we, we, we're going to see that continue this morning, how crucial that is. He's going to tell us that you are the person who's been given every single spiritual blessing in heaven. You got it right now. You are complete in Christ. You are a complete man, a complete woman 
complete in Christ. You got every blessing. You are in Christ. You are inextricably bound to him forever. Now he begins to enumerate those in verse 4 and list the first one, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, think about this with me. The very first blessing he mentions is that God chose you. He chose you. God chose you. You know, all of us know what it is to be not chosen and the pain of rejection. You know, maybe it started for some of us, you know, we're six or seven years old, the field and playing baseball with some friends, and they begin choosing up teams, and maybe you don't get chosen until last, and, and, and that's hard. Or maybe later on in uh, high school, you, you try out for the basketball team, and you, and you don't get chosen, or for the choir or a musical group. All of us know the pain of rejection, or, or even more, maybe, you know, you're in high school, a junior or senior, and and you're a girl, and nobody invites you to the prom. Or you're, 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 you're a guy, and you invite a girl to the prom, but she says no. Uh, we all know the pain of not being chosen and how hard that is. And, and maybe you just you really want to go to a certain college, but you, you don't get uh, accepted into that college. Or later, you just would love to have a job. And... and uh, you know, particularly in this economy, and you're vying for it, and there are a bunch of candidates, but you don't get chosen. Or maybe you would love to marry this man or this woman, and you don't get chosen. She or he says no. All of us know the pain of not being chosen. But friends, it feels so good when you are chosen. <laughs> I talked with Mike McIntosh between the services there, and he just told me this story that he'd, you know, in this economy where jobs and energy are so hard, he just got a great job with great pay and 300 candidates, and it was a miracle. And he just had this big smile on it. It feels so good to be chosen. But the very best thing is that we are chosen by God. We are chosen by God. He has chosen you to be His. He has chosen you to live with him forever. He has chosen you to adopt you as his kids. God has chosen you. I don't know about you, but that's just about the first thing when I come to my time of Thanksgiving every morning. That's just about the first thing I come to is, Lord, thank you that you chose me, that you elected me. Thank you for your sovereign grace, and I hope you thank God for it. There's some hard things about this uh, teaching and truth in the Bible. We don't understand everything, but it is an incredible gift that God chose you, and I hope you give thanks. It's the first blessing that Paul mentions in this section. You know, when Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, he said this to them. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And that could be said of every single one of us as believers. We only choose God because he first chose us. This past week, I worked working on this, and uh, I thought about LeBron James, who is uh, referred to on occasion as the chosen one. And I, I was wondering, you know, where'd that come from and things? So I, I called my or texted my uh, sports fan son, John Paul, who would probably know about that. And he said, uh, Dad, this happened when he was a junior in high school and he was put on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Now, can, can you imagine that when you're a junior in high school? Sports Illustrated. And they used the phrase, the chosen one. And I don't know if that was the first time it occurred, but, but later he had this big tattoo put on, his, put on his back because he liked being the chosen one. 
And I'm not even sure what that means. Does it mean he's chosen to be the next Michael Jordan or whatever? You know, and that's a great thing to be a, a great NBA player, but here's something far better. You're chosen by your God to be his. So you could put a, a big tattoo on your back. Well, some of us need to go back there next week. And big tattoo. The chosen one. Chosen by God. Incredible gift to give thanks to God for. Now, notice again in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, in Christ, everything is in Christ. God does nothing for you ever apart from Jesus Christ. It is all in and through the shed blood, the resurrection, the life of Jesus Christ, always in Christ. Now, when did he choose you? Well, he goes on to say, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, long before you were born, long before anyone was born, long before the worlds were born, in eternity past, when there was only God in heaven, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, God had you in his mind, or he had you in his heart, and he thought of you, and he chose you. You were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Now, now does that not uh, dazzle you that God has always had me on his heart? Uh, you, you know, you might, some of you might, might have been a surprise to your parents that you were born, but not to God. No surprises with God. He has always had you on his heart. You were not a surprise. So you're chosen by God. This is who you are. We're, we're talking about in this early section uh, who we really are, our real identity. And, and part of it is not only that we're complete in Christ and we're, we're joined to Christ forever, but we are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Now, what's the purpose for that choosing? You see it right next. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now, last week, if you were here, we saw that the word saints is the same word. The original language is hagios and hagioi. And uh, hagios, and, and it's the same word. So when He says saints, which is His basic way to describe us, Throughout the New Testament, he's just saying, you're the holy ones. So in verse 1, he said, I'm writing to all the holy ones. And then a little bit later, he says, the whole reason God selected you and, and, and elected you and chose you is so that you would be holy and blameless before me. Now, the word holy in English, for some of us, has some negative connotations. Sometimes we kind of think, well, it just sounds kind of pious and, and sanctimonious or something. Friends, that is not at all the, the idea of this term. The term holy simply means you're Christ-like. You're like Jesus. You've got all the traits that Jesus has. You're more and more like Christ. That's holy. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's holy. Think about the heart of the spiritual life, which is love, that's holy, that you are full of love, like Christ says. So when you think about this, don't think pious and sanctimonious and self-righteous, that sort of thing. Think The whole reason that God elected you was not just that you could enjoy eternal life in my love, but that you could become more and more Christ-like, filled with love, full of Christ-like love. In fact, later in the book, in Ephesians 5, when he's describing marriage, in verse 27, he uses that same phrase again. Verse 27, when he says, so that he, Christ, might present the 
the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and blameless. And so he emphasized again, this is your destiny. This is what I have destined you for, to be full of Christ-like love, to be completely forgiven of all your sins, wholly dedicated to God, more and more like Jesus Christ. That is God's purpose for every single one of us. So, so again, see yourself that way, that my true heart, my true heart is not to sin against God, is not to rebel against God. That's not who I am. My true heart, because Christ is in me, is to please the Lord, to obey the Lord, to love the Lord, to be more and more filled with His love. Okay, He's chosen you to be holy and blameless. And then, what is God's heart in all of this? What's His motive in all of this? In verse, at the end of verse 4 and verse 5, we see, in love He predestined us. So what is His heart in selecting you or in electing you? He did it in love. Now, we're coming to something very holy and sacred, very tender. Uh, th this is not a matter to uh, quarrel or argue about. This is a matter to, to feel so loved about. In love, God predestined us. And because of a heart of love, God chose you before the foundation of the world. And when it comes to identity, we're, we're really kind of coming close to the epicenter. You are the one loved by God before the foundation of the world. All of your, every day of your life, you have been loved by God. He chose you in love in eternity past. You, you are the one loved by Jesus. You know, you think of John's gospel. You know, John, one of the 12 disciples, writes this book about Jesus later, this gospel. And he never refers to his own name, even though he's in the, pit, in the scene the whole time. But three times when he does refer to himself directly, he refers to, to, to himself every time this way, something like this. He says, I am the one loved by Jesus. That's who I am. Uh, the one loved by Jesus, that's, that's who I am. That would be a great way to see yourself. Who are you? Oh, no, I'm not the engineer. I'm not the mother. I'm not the, that, that's not who I really am. I am the one loved by the God of the universe. Crazy love. Crazy love. You know, God will love you in the way these mothers up here love those babies. Now, when those moms, when that first met their little baby, you know, outside the womb, uh, that, those babies didn't do anything to earn that love, did they? It was simply in the mother's nature to have this powerful, uh, unstoppable love for that baby. Friend, that is exactly how God loves you. Exactly. You don't earn God's love. You don't try to be more religious. You don't uh, perform. You just are loved because it is God's nature to love you. In fact, God will never love you, never, any more than he does right now, no matter what you do, because he already loves you perfectly. Also, he will never love you any less than he loves you right now because his love is unconditional. You can't mess up bad enough to make God stop loving you. God will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. You are loved. Friends, see yourself that way. Hear that voice, not the voice of the enemy. I am the one that God has this crazy love for and always has. So I am the one loved by Jesus. Now, what's he adopted you? What's he uh, predestined you to? Well, it's to adopt you. In verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. That's what, you're, you're, that's what the predestination is. That's what the, uh, the choosing is. You're, you're chosen to be adopted. You're adopted as his own son and daughter. 
You are made, not uh, fatherless or motherless, but you're made the, the only child of God. Now, that's your identity. That's who I am. I am the adopted child of God. I'm not only the much-loved child of God, but I'm the much-loved, fully adopted child of the living God. Last week, if you were here, I talked about my net niece and, and uh, her husband in Florida, Orlando, Florida. They had three biological daughters, and uh, Doug was doing some ministry work in Kenya around uh, what is often called the largest slum in the world, Kibara, outside of Nairobi, or in Nairobi. And he came across this little girl, began falling in love with her, and they decided to adopt her. And so to adopt in Kenya, you've got to live six months in country. So they moved, Doug and Jennifer and their three daughters moved to Kenya for six months. And one day, the government of Kenya finally allows them to adopt this precious little girl into their family. Now, think with me, what difference did that, would that have made in this little girl that they named Mary Faith? Do you think it made any difference in Mary Faith's education in her life that she was adopted into the Holiday family rather than the Kibara slum? You think it made any difference in the medical care that little Mary Faith might receive? You think it made any difference in the food and the health and the clean water that Mary Faith would have? It made all the difference in Mary Faith's life. And, and who knows if, if perhaps it not only transformed her lifetime, but in the sovereignty of God, it transformed all her eternity. Raised in a Christ-loving home like this one. Do you think the adopting of Mary Faith made any difference in who she was? It made all the difference. Dear church, the biggest part of your identity is that you are an adopted, much-loved child of God. That's who you are. You're adopted into His family, and it makes all the difference that you are now in God's family, in Christ's family. God did this. We see in verse 5, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. It's only because Jesus Christ died for you on a cross and paid for your sins, rose again. It was all through Jesus Christ. It's like in Jesus Christ. Everything God does for us is in and through Jesus Christ. A couple of verses later in 7, He will make it explicit. When he says, in him, there's that phrase all through Ephesians, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The only reason that God could take us up into his family, being sinners, is that Jesus Christ paid for my sin. And wipe the slate clean, then God can just bring me up into his family. So this is through Jesus Christ. Now at this point, we've got all of this marvelous stuff, what God has done. He chose us, He adopted us, He redeemed us, He, he predestined us, all these things. Now we could ask, well, on what basis did God do this? Was it because, was it according to the fact that, that God looked down through the quarters of time and saw that we would believe? And that's a human, reasonable, logical sort of thing. Is, is that the basis that it was according to the faith that we saw? Well, He tells us very clearly in the next phrase. He predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Not according to our faith, our cleverness, our godliness, but according to His own purpose and will. Now, He did not need to say both purpose and will because they really refer to the same thing. He could have said either purpose or will to make His point. But because this is so hard for us, I think He has a double emphasis on it that He did all of this according to His purpose according to His will. I mean, God decided. We decide for Him, 
Because the Bible says that we all need to believe. But the only reason we believe, because he gave us the faith to believe. We decide for him because he first decided for us. Now, really, in those two verses, four and five, four times, no less than four times, has he emphasized it was God's choice, not our choice. He, he says, God uh, chose us. God predestined us. It was according to God's purpose, and now it's according to God's will. Four times he is emphasizing over and over. And then if you drop down three or four more verses, in verse 11, he emphasizes it some more. He says, in him, that's our phrase, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He could hardly be more emphatic. If you know the Lord, it is not because he looked down through the course of time and saw that you would be smart enough or godly enough or good enough to believe. It is because God chose to give you faith with his own sovereign grace. You know, sometimes people say, well, it's kind of arrogant, isn't it, to say that God chose me? It's just the opposite. It is the most humble thing in the world. If you think that, that you came to Christ because God looked ahead and saw your faith, well, you kind of get some of the credit. But this doctrine, this teaching of the Bible, you get zero credit, zero credit. God does it all. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you have not received? Every good thing in your life is a gift of God, including the faith that you have to believe. Every single bit. All praise goes to God. All praise. Now, let me just pause a few moments because I know that this is a teaching that most of you did not grow up with, nor did I. Most churches do not teach the sovereign grace of God in election because it's just uncomfortable. Um, just about every person that I know that has come to this biblical teaching about the election of God, the sovereignty of God, that God chose us, about every person didn't like this truth for a while, including me. Uh, I think about uh, R.C. Sproul, who might be our biggest teacher on this today. He didn't like this at all. I think about Jonathan Edwards, the greatest a theologian in American history who taught on the sovereignty of God. He didn't like this at all. I think about George Mueller, the great missionary statesman and uh, who had all the adopted orphans who hated this doctrine, but, but he came to see this is what God teaches. And what we do as Bible students is we don't teach the Bible the way we'd like it to, to be taught, but the way it actually is taught, the way it actually teaches us. And God says that is according to the purpose of his will. He chose us. He predestined us, and it's out of his mercy. Uh, Acts 13, 48, in the early church, Paul said this, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And what we'd like to say is just the opposite. As many as who believed, those are the ones that God appointed or elected. He saw who was going to believe and those who elected. It just says just the opposite. As many as who were appointed or who were elected, they believed because God chose you. God gave you faith. Or Jesus, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You can't even come to him because, because dead people, spiritually dead people, with unbelief and rebellion against God, have no, uh, no life to come to God. God gives you grace and faith. The Bible teaches two truths all the way through. One is the divine sovereignty of God, that we become Christians because God chose us. The other one is that human responsibility, that we need to believe. All through the Bible, you've got to believe, believe to be saved. And those seem, uh, they don't fit together to us. Well, to my puny mind, they may not fit together, but I trust 
because this is what God teaches, I accept both of them fully. And, and don't argue or quarrel with him about them. I receive them. And one day they may all make sense to me. But until then, I will gladly receive them together. It's often compared to a, a, two ropes hanging down from the ceiling. And, and if you went above that ceiling, you would see that that's really just one rope on a pulley. And it all fits together. Now, down here below, when it looks like two ropes, if you just grab onto one of those ropes and not the other one, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to miss out. You're going to crash to the ground. If you just grab the sovereignty rope, or on the other hand, if you just grab the responsibility rope, you need to grab both ropes and fully embrace both. And one day in eternity, you'll see it was all of a piece and all one rope. It will make sense to us. There's mystery that we don't fully understand, but you know, no surprise that my puny brain cannot fully understand God's infinite mind. You know, it would be a small God if I could fully understand Him. And so we do what Proverbs 3, 5 says, we trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And we gratefully receive all of this teaching from God. One writer put it this way, he says, the marvel of marvels is not that God didn't elect everybody. And that's a question. That's a that's a challenge. You know, why didn't God just choose everybody? I don't know. I don't know. He's God and I'm not. But the marvel of marvel is, is not that God did not choose everybody. It's that God chose anybody. And in grateful worship, Lord, thank you so much that you chose me and adopted me as your own precious daughter and son. Now in verse 6, the final verse, he kind of comes to the grand finale, the ultimate purpose behind all of this, when he says in verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. All of this is to the praise of His grace because God gets all the praise here. And we can't take any praise because all of it is of the grace of God. He did it all. He began it. He ended it. Uh, he he's, he's just sovereignly chose us to be His follower. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us or literally graced us in the Beloved, in Jesus Christ. He has poured grace upon us and all praise be to Him. Friends, the Bible teaches all through that this is who we really are. We are complete in Christ. You are completely blameless. You're, you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You have been chosen as God's own adopted son and daughter. You are, you are so loved by him. You, are, you, you have been made his, uh, his uh, precious daughter or son. And, and all of this is, is, is who we are. And we're going to see, uh, particularly in Ephesians 1, uh, who we are. And it's so vital that we see ourselves as God sees us. You know, several years ago, well, let me just say this. Uh, you can choose to listen to God's voice about who you are or Satan's voice about who you are. And it's going to make all the difference. And nobody can choose for you. You've got to choose. 90% of Christians are listening to the voice of the enemy, and it is ruining their lives. A few years ago, Gail and I went to Tanzania. Some of our kids took us, and we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, which I would not recommend. <laughs> and after we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, we went to a game preserve there in Tanzania called the Ngora Ngora Crater. It's this huge crater and it's a fascinating place, and in the bottom of that crater, or as you go toward the bottom, there are more and more of these game animals. Well, we were driving in in this secure Jeep that, you know, a wild animal couldn't get into, and we were, uh, 
looking for animals, and the first real animal that we came to was this majestic lion. And, and he wasn't that far out. That's him. And, and he wasn't that far from the dirt road where we were climbing on. And, and you know, just to, to see one live and not in a book is just different. And, and this mighty, powerful, proud lion was standing out there. But if you look more carefully, you can see that he's got a red beard. And just a little bit earlier, he devours this antelope. And that may look like a beautiful lion, but he is a killer who destroys antelopes. The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and that someone includes you. And he's got a bloody mouth. And he, the Bible says that Satan came to steal and kill and destroy. And if you listen to the voice of Satan, a voice that you've heard in your mind all your life, that you are a dirty, rotten, no good sinner, that God really doesn't love you, that God's mad at you, that God can't really use you because of your divorce, because of your failures, because of your this, because of your that. If you listen to that voice, it will ruin your life. You will not enjoy God. You will not trust God. It will ruin your family relationships. You will run from God like Adam and Eve in the garden. You won't come to God. You won't want to come to church and open the Bible and pray because you're going to fear that God is a cosmic killjoy out to get you. He will try to devour your soul. You can do that. You can listen to that voice. Or you can choose to say no to that voice. You can choose to say no to the enemy. You can choose to tell the enemy to go to hell. And you can listen to the voice of your God who has loved you before the foundation of the world. And who said that I chose you and I predestined you and I've loved you and I've adopted you and I've redeemed you and I look at you like a mother looks at a newborn baby full of love. You can do that. Church, know who you are and listen to God's voice. Stand with me. Papa, if there's anybody here who has been blinded by the enemy to who you are and who has rejected you and rebelled against you, may right now they breathe a prayer. Jesus, I'm coming home. Just breathe that prayer. He'll, he'll receive you into himself. He made you for himself. Lord, for all of us who have done that, we pray, Lord God, with all our hearts that you would give us grace to see ourselves the way you see us. The way we really are is so loved, adopted, chosen, selected, redeemed as your blood bought, much loved, fully adopted kids. Help us, Lord.